But just to quickly recap where we're at, right? This is um, Isaiah is a, a prophet in uh, in Judah when Israel was split into two different kingdoms. He's in in uh, in Judah preaching. Uh, to the people there about some different enemies uh, that surround them, um, some threats that are coming. Some of them they've seen already come to pass. Some are, you know, coming down the pike. But now he's switched to, he's speaking about things that are going to happen a hundred years later than the the time that he lives. And he's really accurate about it. Uh, And so he was kind of letting the people of Judah know, you know, here's what's coming, and part of why this is coming is our dependence on idols, our tendency toward idolatry, like it's something that we're going to be judged for. Uh, And so in the last chapter in Isaiah 41, God, speaking through Isaiah, he he called all the idols of the world into, uh, into his courtroom, basically, and put them on trial. And uh, in Isaiah 41, verse 29, it said, Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. Right? And in that chapter, he talked about how, you know, that people had to, like, add extra nails to keep their, their God from falling over in a storm, which means it's not a God at all. Right? Um, and we talked a little bit about that, that our idols today, they may not sit on a shelf, uh, but they may be more in, in our, inside ourselves. You know, anything that we lean on or we trust in or we, uh, we get our comfort from before we go to God has become an idol. And so we're going to, in chapter 42, he contrasts that attitude with something better. And we're going to get into, the, into that, but before we do, let's pray and we'll, we'll dig into it. Uh, Lord, we thank you this evening for allowing us to be here. Um, that we get to fellowship and uh, sing songs of praise, and, and most importantly, that you've preserved your word for us, that we can look into it and know you better. Lord, we know that uh, your word tells us you want to be known, and if we lack wisdom, we're just, just to ask, and you'll give it. Uh, so Lord, we just ask tonight that you would uh, open the eyes of our hearts, help us see the truth that you've put here in your word, preserved for us for centuries. And through that, Lord, we don't want to just gain knowledge or gain uh, trivia points, Lord. We want to know you better. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to leave here closer to you, knowing you a little bit better than when we arrive. We pray for your blessing on the message and on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Isaiah 42 uh, remember, chapter 41 ended with, Behold, all of them are false. All the things that you've been depending on, those are false. In chapter 42, he opens up, Behold, my servant. Behold, my servant, uh, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. Now, that language may sound kind of familiar to you if, you've, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all. This section is quoted um, in Matthew 12 about Jesus, right? It's, made, it's pretty clear that it's talking about Jesus at Jesus' baptism. 
the Lord said, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? And I put my Spirit upon Him. So Isaiah says, you know, this is, you behold those things that are empty. Now behold this servant in whom the Lord delights. He'll bring forth justice or deliverance to the nations. I think it's interesting in verse 2, it says, He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. You know, often when Jesus performed a miracle... Or healed someone. Very often he would say, "Now, you know, go present yourself to the priests or, or whatever, but don't tell anyone." Not because it was just you know top secret, you know, commando miracles or whatever, but but he wasn't there to make a big scene. He didn't want people just to believe in him because he did tricks, you know, or or for what he could give them in the short term. But he didn't try to call a lot of attention to himself. He didn't, um, you know, go around shouting in the streets. He didn't concern himself with fame or publicity or branding. I have a feeling he and the disciples didn't sit around and have meetings about what their new logo was going to be or, you know, all the kind of stuff that you know we, we do with our businesses and stuff. Uh, the only time he really did anything to draw attention to himself uh, is there's one time when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that was in the middle of a, a parade that would happen every year. So he knew there would be a crowd when he did that. But he was giving Israel one, cha- you know, one more chance to make him king, uh, which they, of course, botched it. So he didn't lead mass protests or make big scenes in the streets. Um, he was more subversive than that. Now I'm not saying that you know that it's ever it's always wrong to to do those things. There may be situations, you know, the civil rights movement was an example where um, you know peaceful protests led to important changes. But Jesus, for the most part, that's not how he rolled. He, he was more subversive even than that. Uh, he quietly modeled uh, love and peace and patience. And he served people. In Philippians 2, um, we get this description of him. And there's a fancy... Um, fancy doctrinal word for this, uh, kenosis. And not the thing that you go into when you eat low carb, that's ketosis. But kenosis is, is when Jesus, it's when God, you know, he laid aside some of uh, what he rightfully had claimed to. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to. Uh, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, uh, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, you know, the, it's something to keep in mind. Like when, 
when they come to arrest him in the garden. And he lets them know, I could call down legions of angels. And we've learned in this book, what did one angel pull off against the Assyrians? Right? Yeah, he killed hundred and some thousand, right? Behold, in the morning they woke up dead, that whole section. Uh, one angel could do that, and Jesus says, I could call down a legion of them. But he didn't. He, he thought, rather than thinking of himself, he thought of others first. I know that may seem like a simple message, but it's one that I don't know about you, but I still struggle to apply that one. When we, ask, when we talk about what we want for dinner, I want what I want, not what you want. I want it to taste good to me. And I clearly win that argument most of the time, you know. But it's really easy to get trapped into thinking of, of ourselves first. Um, and I say trap because when we think of ourselves, it's a dangerous thing. Because we, we, before we know it, we're, we're worried about all kinds of stuff. We're worried about whether or not we're happy or whether we think our needs are being met. Or, um, you know, whether we're accomplishing all that we could in life or whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have goals or any of that stuff. But when you get so obsessed with yourself, before long it becomes a negative feedback loop and, and it's going ha- to harm all your other relationships. Because so, when we're thinking about other people, uh, we become, when we become more concerned about their needs, it's this weird thing that happens. Uh, psychologists, secular psychologists as well as Christians, uh, believe or have, you know, agree on this, that one of the best things we can do when we're depressed or anxious is to serve other people. Getting our, our attention off of ourselves actually helps heal ourselves. It's a weird thing. It's almost like that's something God told us to do. Because it's what's best. And I'm thankful that I have a God who, uh, who doesn't give up on me when I f- feel like giving up, you know, when times are hard or when I'm discouraged. Uh, he doesn't give up on us. And it, he says he, this is the servant that, uh, that Isaiah is talking about. We're going to read on here. Isaiah 42, verse 3. He says, a bruised reed will not break. Uh, a bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So a bruised reed, this is, um, you know, reeds when they would get wet or, um, or, you know, you'd knock into them or whatever, they would kind of bow over with the moisture. And it was really easy to step on those and you'd break it. It's never going to grow again. And he says, that's not, what, that's not how this servant works. When someone's down, he doesn't kick them when they're down. Uh, when they're... He, in a, a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish. He wants to reignite you when, when the flame is kind of dwindling, not snuff you out. You know, that's the opposite of how most of the, the world operates. Verse 4, though, it says, He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. 
the coastlands. Now, that's something Isaiah, a lot of times when he talks about islands and coastlands, that's his way of saying the whole, you know, the wide world, is the, the far reaches of the earth, right? Uh, so the whole world, basically, is going to wait expectantly on what this servant is going to bring. I was reading a, a little story the other day about um, uh, David Livingston. Uh, you know, the explorer of Africa. Um, and uh, there was this one society that they wanted to send him some support, and they, they sent a letter through, um, you know, a bunch of different couriers, and it gets to him. And the letter basically said that, ha- you know, have you found a good road to where you are? Um, if so, we want to send other men to join you. And he replied back that if you have men who will, on, who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. And what I find hilarious is that somebody on foot carried that letter to him. I'm like, just why didn't you just send the help with that guy? But, but you know, he had, he had a really good point, right? Like things are going to be difficult uh, from time to time. If somebody's not willing to, to put up with that, I, what help are they, right? And Jesus, he tells us over and over that, in this life you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Just know that even in the midst of difficult times, it's a thing that will pass. And so this, these first few verses um, are their prophecy of the first coming of Jesus, right? He's going to come, he's going to... Um, you know, he's going to heal people, he's going to, uh, you know, the, the Lord's Spirit will be upon him and all of that. Um, he's going to come quietly and kindly and gently, all the things that Jesus did. And it says he won't give up until he brings justice to the whole world or deliverance to the whole world. Well, he did that at the cross. But now the the message shifts a little bit in this chapter. So we go to verse 5. It says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, uh, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the Bible never purports itself to be a science book. Right? That's not the, the intention of it. But when it does speak on science, it's always right. So we saw that a few weeks ago. Remember he talked about how the earth is a sphere and, and suspended on nothing and all you know, things that people didn't know or understand back when this was written. But here again, it says, uh, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out. And this word stretched, it's not just only past tense. It can be past and present. The reason I bring that up is now, about four, three and a half, four thousand years after this was written, we've scientists agree now that the universe is expanding. We also have this concept of uh, something called Pangea, right, where all the continents were at one time one big continent. You ever heard that theory? I always, when I was a kid, I used to look at the maps and try to figure out, well, 
all right, America would fit right here on Africa, and it doesn't all fit together perfect, but um, same thing. He says he spread out the earth and its offspring. He gives breath, anyway, that's not the main point, but I just always think that's interesting when he throws in a little fact that you're like, holy cow, we just figured that out, and he wrote it down for us 4,000 years ago. Uh, Let's see, verse 6, he says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. So this gets a little interesting because he's, I think he's speaking about a few different things all at once. He says, I'm, this servant, right, because he's, he's kind of shifted his focus, this servant I'm going to use as a light to the Gentiles, uh, you know, to the, to the nations. And this is something that Israel was not super thrilled about. The Jews mostly viewed Gentiles as, you know, fuel for the fires of hell, right? We, we were just kindling for, for the inferno. But God intended them to be a light to us, to, to the Gentiles, not to exclude them. So other, other people could see how, you know, how they benefited by walking with God and want a part of that. The same thing is true of the church, right? That's the same thing he's called the church to do, is to be, uh, you know, to be a light, a, a city set on a hill, right? We're supposed to live a life so close with God that people go, what is that about? I want what they've got. Now, unfortunately, most of us don't really pull that off. We, we need to do a lot better job of um, portraying the positive parts of our faith. I don't mean put on a show or be fake. Uh, but we very often are more focused about telling people the things that we're against rather than showing them the things that God is for. You'll get much further uh, by, by loving on someone than you will by telling them all, of, all the things that you think are wrong about them. Paul, in, in his speech, um, gosh, where is it at? Is it Acts 26, uh, 17 or 18? He's making this speech before Herod Agrippa, and, he, and he's kind of giving his testimony, uh, and, he, and he says that Jesus saved him to open their eyes, right, the eyes of the, uh, the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, to basically set people free. That was part of what Paul was called to, which means that's something we're all called to do, right? To help open people's eyes. So it could be, and people debate about this, right? Is, is he talking about Israel? Is he talking about the church? I think it's a little bit of both of those. But it also, obviously, Jesus fulfills this stuff, right? He literally opened blind eyes. And, and set the captives free and all of that. And as a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, uh, verses 17 through 21, um, it quotes this again, just letting you know that that's who Isaiah was primarily talking about. Verse 8, though, it says, I am the Lord, 
that is my name. I am the Lord, that is my name. Uh, and the word there for Lord, is, it's, you know, Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, and he says, you know, that's not just a title I have. That's my name. I'm, I am Deliverer God. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. I will not give my glory to another. You know, when God uses you, uh, you may find that some that people will put kind of a spotlight on you. Whenever you do something great for God, we like we we love to recognize that. We love to recognize that. Wow, look what God's doing through Scotty, or look what He's been doing through Eric, or whoever. You know, that's a good thing. Uh, it's great to be used by God, and it feels good. And it feels good to be uh, thanked for it and complimented for it. But I just caution you, no matter what your role is, that you keep the spotlight on Jesus because it can very quickly go sideways on you. Some people have taken that spotlight and enjoyed it a little too much, which is what the deceiver did to begin with, right? The devil got a little taste of the spotlight and wanted to stay there. He said, you know what? The worship they're pointing at God, I'd like to have a little more of that. Some people try to cash in on his name uh, for their own glory. We see that in the New Testament. Jesus is talking about how in the end times, or in the, you know, the judgment, there will be people who cry out to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name, right? Did we not do miracles in your name and cast out demons in your name? And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, right? You, you, you enjoyed the spotlight of my name, but you never actually trusted me. It was all about you. Um. The 139th Psalm, David said this, and I I encourage everybody to, this is a dangerous prayer, but it's a prayer that I encourage everyone to pray and and mean it. Uh, He says this, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, God, show me the parts of me that I'm overlooking, right? The things that I'm excusing away. The, uh, the sin that I, you know, I love and cuddle and cherish because it's mine, right? We call that our pet sin. It, it's, it looks bad on anybody else, but on me it's okay because it's, you know, it's mine. And he says... David says, show me those things, Lord. If you pray that prayer, um, it's, I think it's important, right? But be ready for him to answer. And then be ready to do something about it. I'm getting a little off track here. We'll go back to Isaiah 42, verse 9. He says, behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things 
Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Remember, we've talked about this a lot the last few weeks. That's the, one of the things that separates the Bible from any other holy writing in, in all of creation is predictive prophecy. Over and over, God, through his prophets, predicted things, and they came to pass. None of the other you know, reported holy books have that. He says, before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and those who dwell on them. He says, look, the the old things have passed away. I'm doing something new. And because of that, you should sing a new song. A new thing requires a new song. You know, old songs are great. Um, they can bring us comfort. You know, we know the tune, we know the words, uh, and they make, uh, especially at church, it makes worshiping or praising God very easy, right? If, uh, there are certain songs that, um, you know, the whole church is going to sing loud and proud. And as a worship leader, I, you know, I love those moments, uh, but if you lead too many songs, because, you know, if you lead too many songs that people don't know, it's just more of a performance thing, right? Nobody knows the words. They, they're not into it. They don't understand it. But uh, so old songs are great when, you know, the whole church sings, but they can also be dangerous uh, because if you want, you don't even have to think about the words. You just, you know them. It's automatic. You know, there are, like there are Christmas songs, right, that you already know the tune and probably could spit the words out, but have never really sat and thought about what those words mean, you know, other than it's a thing you sing at Christmas. Um, there are things in our faith that can become that, right, that we have become a habit. It's something we don't even think about anymore, and it loses its value, loses its power. So we can, you know, we can develop certain ways of living or thinking or habits, and those are the things that we just fall back on, right? When things go sideways at work, then, well, you know, the only way to deal with that is have a few beers after work, right? And that's the thing I do anytime I had a bad day at work, and that turns in, can grow and turn into something really bad. Problem though with new songs, right? We, he says, I'm doing a new thing. We need to have new songs. That's great, too. But new songs tend to be kind of bumpy and not super polished. They don't go flawlessly at first. It takes a while to get used to them. It takes a while to, for them to become uh, second nature. Second, you know, you don't have to think about them. The reason I bring all that up is this. Um, when was the last time you sang a new song to the Lord? I don't, I don't mean in church, and I don't mean literally a song, right? Like, when was the last time you let God change some part of your life, let him do something new and different in you that was uncomfortable, and, you, you know, it's a little bumpy and awkward, but it's new, and I'm, I'm going to try this. Because those are the things that become healthy habits over time. Those are the things that give us new life. 
Verse 11, he says, Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices, the settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse His zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. So you notice, again, the language has shifted. It's changed again. Now he's talking about some, something different than the first time Jesus came, right? First time Jesus came, it said he will not lift up his voice. He's going to be quiet and gentle and meek. This is the second coming he's talking about. He's not going to be quiet anymore. In the first coming, he's this humble lamb of God. In the second coming, he is the roaring lion of Judah. It's a new thing. Verse 14, this verse, I've got to tell you, I read this and I, I went back and read it in the original language and hair stood up on my arms. Verse 14, this is the Lord speaking, right? He says, I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both gasp and pant. And there's something kind of missing in our translation here. doesn't matter which one you read. It's hard to directly translate from Hebrew to English. But it says, I, basically, the, the thought here is, I have kept silent. I have kept still and restrained myself no more. Right? The Lord, he says, I've been biting my tongue all this time. And he's been doing that for our sake. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Right? He's He's been holding back until the last possible moment. But here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I go, there are times when I just can't watch another newscast, right? I don't want to be on social media. I don't want to see the news. I don't want to hear about another crime, another perversion, another abuse, or any of that stuff. And so I can turn it off. God can't. He is all-knowing. Every abuse, every crime, every bit of suffering, every bit of injustice reaches his ears. And he's been restraining himself. And in this moment, he says, I've kept silent for a long time. No more. Verse 15. Isaiah 42, verse 15, he says, I will lay waste the mountains and hills and wither all their vegetation. I will make the rivers into coastlands and dry up the ponds. I will lead the blind by a way they do not know and paths they do not know. I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do and I will not leave them undone. They will be turned back and be utterly put to shame who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods. 
Then he turns his focus away from Jesus to another servant. Verse 18, he says, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is so blind as he that is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. See, who saw more of what God can do than Israel? Nobody, right? They, they saw the plagues in Egypt. They were taken through the Red Sea, the miracles in the wilderness. God's incredible hand in conquering the promised land. Um, you know, the victory of Gideon, the power of Samson, the miracles of Elijah and Elisha, and the list goes on and on. They saw all those things. And they still worshiped idols rather than God. Verse 21, it says, The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and despoiled. All of them are trapped in caves or are hidden away in prisons. They've become a prey with none to deliver them and a spoil with none to say, give them back. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen hereafter who gave jacob up for spoil and israel to plunderers was it not the lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways they were not willing to walk and whose law they did not obey so he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle and it set him aflame all around yet he did not recognize it and it burned him but he paid no attention i know it's a little confusing He's really setting up what's going to come in the next chapter. But the main thing here is, remember, Isaiah knew that, that Judah was going to be taken captive eventually. And that while they were in captivity, they were going to be crying out and they were going to be asking this question, why, God, are you allowing this to happen to us? Some of us have asked that question when we've gone through a hard time in our life. Why would God allow this to happen to me? It's this question that Isaiah attempts to answer in these verses and in the coming chapter. They played their own part in it. Um, Part of this was the consequence of their own sin. And part of it was, why not you? Why not Israel? Why not... when When... something happens in my life and I go, why me? Well, why not me? Because he allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. I know that's not a super uplifting message right now. Um, But I do know that as Isaiah has been gradually pointing us, and he's going to get it clearer and clearer as the book wraps up, He's been pointing us toward one who's going to set all things right. Even those, those things that we feel weren't fair, he'll set straight. In the meantime, we don't want to be like Israel and be blind to the things that he's put right in front of us. Because they were blind even though they had seen more than anybody else. And in a way, we're in the same position, right? We have it all when it comes to uh, revelation, right? We have... 
more revelation than anybody in Isaiah's time had because we've got the whole Word of God. Uh, you have the written record of all that the Israelites saw and then some. So, I'll just ask you this. Are you getting bored with God's Word? If so, I'd just encourage you to renew, you know, let Him fan that flame uh, afresh. Um, and if you've, uh, you've not sang a new song in a while, maybe now's the time to do that. Let him do something new and just see what happens. Uh, we'll close it there, and then uh, we'll get into some more stuff later. But All right, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us uh, an opportunity to study your word. And we thank you that uh, even when we're faithless, you remain faithful, that you can't deny yourself. We're so thankful for that. Lord, we just pray that uh, you would re- you give us new zeal, fan the flame in our lives, Lord, that we would have a fresh desire to serve you uh, and to, to know you better. Lord, I just pray for blessing on everyone here listening in person and online, that tomorrow we would walk in the light and that it would bring glory to you. Lord, we pray that you come and come quickly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, ready? Break. Break.